This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. American Ballpark. It's the Better Off Red Podcast. Here's your host, Jamie Ramsey. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks a lot for joining us this week for another episode of the Better Off Red Podcast. This week, Greg Vaughn joins the show to discuss, among other things, the year he spent in Cincinnati in 1999. We have spring training news coming up and a note on Reds Fest, but first, here's some great music this week from a band called Jesus' Sons. No Trespassing Blues from the Los Angeles rock band Jesus' Sons. They have a new album out now called Bring It On Home, and that's exactly what you should do, bring their record home with you, because it's simply fantastic from top to bottom. Bring It On Home by Jesus' Sons is available now on iTunes. Before we get to this week's guest, let's check in with some news from around Red's country. The Reds this week released their 2016 spring training schedule. Pitchers and catchers report to the club's spring training complex in Goodyear, Arizona on February 18th with the first Cactus League game taking place against the Indians on March 1st. The Reds will play 33 exhibition games during spring training, including 18 at Goodyear Ballpark. At the conclusion of spring training, the team will travel to Indianapolis for an exhibition game on April 2nd with the Pittsburgh Pirates at Victory Field. The Reds have updated the list of players and staff scheduled to appear at this year's Reds Fest. Among the current players expected to attend include Joey Votto, Rysel Iglesias, Homer Bailey, and Todd Frazier. For a full updated list, please visit Reds.com slash RedsFest. Fox Sports Ohio Reds Fest, presented by PNC Bank, takes place December 4th and 5th at Duke Energy Convention Center in downtown Cincinnati. Tickets are on sale now at reds.com slash redsfest or by calling 513-381-REDS. You can also pick up your Reds Fest tickets at Great American Ballpark box office and select Kroger stores with Ticketmaster retail outlets. He's a four-time All-Star, a Silver Slugger Award winner, and the man many Reds fans will remember as the catalyst of the 1999 Reds team that won 96 games. He hit 50 home runs for the National League champion San Diego Padres in 1998, and all told, he played in parts of 15 big league seasons with Milwaukee, San Diego and Cincinnati, Tampa Bay, and Colorado. 
Joining us from his home in Northern California, this is Greg Vaughn. Hello, Greg Vaughn. How are you? Thanks for coming on the Better Off Red podcast. Hey, thank you, Jamie. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm in sunny California, and it's getting ready to go play golf, I think. <laughs> All right. Uh, you told me today that uh, that you had a hot yoga appointment. How's that going for you? Well, I love it. I wish I was smart enough to do it when I played. You know, uh, you know, working your body from the inside out. As you get older, for me, you know, I don't feel like beating my body up anymore, so it works good for me. Yeah, that's great. I think maybe if uh, you know they had that around for you guys back uh, back when you played, you might still be playing. Well, you know what? What's funny is the place I go to here in California, they had, but I stopped there like three or four times, saying, you know, I, I know this could help me. But it was all women in there, and it didn't sm- and, and it didn't smell too good. So I didn't want to go make a- <laughs> I didn't want to make a fool out of myself. So I all three times I turned around and went back the other way. Uh huh. Well, yeah. I, you know what? I've actually talked to a, a few of our players. That n- one that I'm not going to mention that you know he did it once, and he kind of said the same thing that you did. That you know there was a lot of women in there. It, 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 he didn't feel comfortable being in there, so he kind of stopped doing it. But you know, I, I believe it or not, I go, and I it's it's amazing. It's it's amazing what it, it can do for your body, and uh, you know, it's something that uh, you know I'm happy that you're 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 involved in. Oh yeah, you know, you know, mind, body, and soul, and it, uh, and, and like I said, for me, it only it helped my golf game too, and you know, dropped it from like a nine to like a a five, you know. So I'm gonna keep going just because <laughs> of that alone. <laughs> Very nice. So aside from golf, tell us what you're doing these days, where you're living, and how things are going for you. Uh, you know, living in California. Uh, you know, I have a son that's with, with the Mets AAA. Uh, he's in surgery. He's doing well now. Matter of fact. He started going, he's going to start going to yoga with me because now, you know, once they reach a certain age, they can't listen to that, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. So, so then I have, uh, you know, my daughter was on the USA uh, Junior uh, Equestrian Team. Wow. And then I have little Greg, who's a freshman, playing uh, college baseball. So playing a lot of golf and uh, just enjoying life. You know, I coach high school. I do, you know, some games on the – radio and TV from time to time and uh you know I just left instructional ball with the Padres and you know still still trying to stay in the game but you know I you know it's different but I think it's it's turning back to for the better you know it's going back to not, you know a lot of baseball guys are, are are coming back and getting involved with the organization and that's how it was when I was coming up you know we had baseball guys teaching us you know we didn't have a lot of computers telling us what I should do, you know what I mean? Because unless you stand in that box, you know, it's a tough game. I haven't had a bad day since I retired. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, you mentioned your son, Corey. He's in the Mets system, and, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, are familiar with Corey Vaughn, and, you know, he's uh, he, not only does he have the talent to play professional baseball, and he's currently knocking on the door to the majors, but he's all, he's doing all of that as a diabetic. Can you talk to us a little bit about Corey and how he's coming along with his, uh, I don't want to say illness, but his uh, he's kind of overcoming something to play at a very high level? Yeah, we've been, you know, very, very blessed. You know, Corey knows his body inside and out. You know, uh, it's it's sort of, how do I say this? I just left the Willie Stargell Foundation, you know, the golf tournament in Wilmington, North Carolina, you know, for the Kidney Foundation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so when Corey was first diagnosed, you know, we, you know, why, how come, you know, what do we do? You know, didn't, scared to death, didn't know anything about it. And, you know, I would see the chaplain going to some of these rooms, on the, you know, in the kids' ward. And I was like, you know, Corey, I, even though, I, you know, we might not think it's fair, you know, some of these kids aren't going to leave here. You know, so as long as you take care of yourself, you know, and we educate ourselves and, uh, you know, you, you can have a great and fulfilled life. And, you know, with, you know, with modern-day medicine and all the research that's going into, you know, juvenile diabetes, it, he is able to live a functional life. You know, he has a pump, which is, acts as his pancreas, you know, because when he was first diagnosed, you know, there wasn't a lot of research on the pump, so he would have, actually have to give himself shots 
mm-hmm. every day at a certain time. And now, you know, he can wake up, sleep in. He does a pretty good job of sleeping in, too. So, <laughs> you know, it's act like he has a, you know, his pancreas works pretty good. Okay, before we get into the the meat of the interview here, can you can you tell people listening how they can you know uh, get more information on uh, uh, diabetes and how to uh, you know combat it and maybe uh, maybe a little advice on what Corey's done that that you think would help some people that are, that are listening out there right now? Well, you know uh, Corey's uh, uh, Twitter handle you know is uh, sugar free. You know what I mean, and uh, he is. Uh, you know, like I said, we've been blessed. You hear so many horror stories of, you know, the kids going into diabetic comas, uh, you know, the, the mental aspect that it takes on on a person that, you know, one day you're healthy, next day, you know, you have to give yourself these, you know, live on insulin for the rest of your life. There's mm-hmm. a difference between type 1 and type 2. Type 2, you know, is more, you know, adults get it as they're older, you know, maybe a little bit over the overheating, the, you know, the weight gain, the... You know, you uh, with diet and exercise, you can overcome that. Type one is basically your pancreas has stopped working. Mm-hmm. So, you know, unless you get a pancreas transplant, you know, you have to live on on insulin for the rest of your life. And like I said, so far, Corey knows his body in the middle of the night. Ever since he was diagnosed, he, if he felt himself going low, he would wake up and get something to boost his sugar. Or if he felt himself too high, he was able to you know, to make his insulin take, uh, able to make uh, insulin adjustments to bring himself down. And with the pump, it gives you a sense of normalcy because, you know, it, you know, you plug it into like anything else in this day and age, the computer, mm-hmm. and, the, and it can tell you, you know, when you use the most, when you need to, you know, cut back on, you know, like when you're resting, you don't need as much, so your bonus goes down during the day. But being an athlete, you know, Corey has been used to, uh, Tested himself a lot during the games just to make sure he keeps his levels at a, uh, you know, that works best for him, whatever that number is, you know. And like I said, we hear all the horror stories. We're just fortunate and blessed that Corey so far hasn't, you know, had to, uh, how do we say this, go into, you know, spend time in the hospital or because of his diabetes, except for the initial uh, diagnosis mm-hmm. of it. Uh, one of your old teammates, Dimitri Young, was recently on the podcast, and he's a type two diabetic. Um, you know, and I think that's—I uh, don't know if you've seen him lately or have talked to him, but he's lost over a hundred pounds. He's looking great. He uh, kind of adopted that same—that same mentality that Corey has as far as taking care of himself and trying to get healthy. When I asked him, I, I asked him, you know, what kind of—you know—aside from the the diabetes, uh, what what had what motivated him to to get in such great shape and he he basically flat out said that he didn't want to have any of his limbs removed so uh have you seen dimitri or have you talked to him lately no you know via facebook you know me and dimitri are friends and uh well i see him he looks awesome yeah you know and i can't remember the last time i seen the last time i seen him i think he was just diagnosed with it or he was sick and you know to see him now you know that that's awesome you know, it's unfortunate that most of us, you know, it's like going to church. A lot of us are born in the church, but, you know, we all leave because we think we can do everything on our own, and then something leads us back into the church. Same thing with health. You know, we think, you know, we can take advantage of it, and, you know, uh, we, we take certain things for granted. The next thing you know, you know, we end up with some of these illnesses. You know, and, you know, maybe, you know, the guy upstairs is using Corey and Dimitri for uh, – Using them for a message, using them to to reach out and be able to be in that little bit of a spotlight to help other people. So you know, there's no say to why we get things that we get. <laughs> Absolutely. And speaking to Dimitri, he had some very kind things to say about you on the podcast. He said that uh, that when you were, when you two played together, that you changed the dynamic of the ball club when you were here in in Cincinnati and not only on the field but also in the clubhouse, especially in the clubhouse. And you were always that kind of guy um, that that demanded. Uh, players giving a hundred percent effort. Now, was that something that 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 you always prided yourself on, or was it something that you kind of developed the, the longer that you played? Well, well, for me, you know, it, it goes back to uh, you know being twelve years old and you know playing a pop Warner game, 
and I think I rushed for like 200 yards, ran a kickoff back, and I got co-MVP. <laughs> so after the game, you know, the the, uh, the head of our family, which is about a five-foot uh, tall, uh, you know, African-American woman, our grandma, that, you know, there's a number of athletes out of my family that made it. Yeah. You know, she, she, she says, what's wrong with you? And I said, Grandma, it's not fair. You know what I mean? And she goes, what do you mean what's not fair? I said that I did this, 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 and they gave us joint MVP. He didn't do this. She goes, you know what? I was the first female at the, you know, Army Depot, and, and let alone a minority. And she said, life isn't fair. But she said, you know what else? She said, you made a mistake. I said, made a mistake? I just gave everything I had. She goes, no, you made it too close. <laughs> so... Don't you know? So from that from that point on, it was I tried to separate myself, whether it was in the classroom or an athletic field. And when I say separate myself, not saying you know I had to get three or four hits. It would have been nice to get three or four hits every day. But the one thing I can control or could control was my effort, and you know what I brought every single day to the ballpark. They were paying me to play a game. And, you know, I was truly blessed to have this job and not to go out there and give everything I had every single day. It wasn't just fair, unfair to the, the fans that pay money to come see me play or see us play, but for my teammates and, and my family. You know, uh, if I demanded these things from my kids and, you know, uh, to watch my grandmother go out there and work and bust her butt and my mom do the things that she did for us, you know, it, it was a disgrace for our family. So I, I don't think... There was tremendous talent on that team. I just think we just had to be, it just had to be refocused. You know, we were here to win. We weren't here just to play. You know, I didn't, you know, fight to keep my goatee just to come over here just to get dressed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you mentioned the uh, the goatee. You were the you were the man who pretty much got the facial hair policy in Cincinnati changed. Uh, d- would it have become an issue if Marge hadn't changed the policy and and you know, more importantly, are you still rocking the goatee? Well, I'm still rocking the goatee. I haven't shaved it or changed it. Like I said, my Corey's, what, 25? <laughs> Definitely since he's been born. But, you know, at the time, at the time, I, I think I was disappointed because, you know, you just lose the World Series. Mm-hmm. There's never been any. There's never been anybody to hit 50 home runs and get traded. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh you're playing in your home state, you're your home in California, mm-hmm. and, and you feel like you're doing everything right to stay in this situation. And, you know, you're already upset because you don't have one more run at it, you know, like the Royals did this year. You know, all those guys got to stay together and got to have another run. So I think I was more hurt and, and felt betrayed by the game because, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I thought I did everything I could to to stay. Right. And at that time, you know, Tony Tony Gwynn, who was a good friend of mine, you know, I don't want to say Tony was quiet. Tony was a, a, you know, he was a baseball player that didn't get involved in anything else but playing baseball. But when they treated me, that's the first time he was outspoken and, and was upset and vented, and the fans vented back home in San Diego. So it was, you know, I, I was touched by that. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, after now looking back on my career, Watching Joe Morgan, you know, uh, Pete Rose, yep. you know, Johnny Bench, Tony Perez, you know, Barry Larkin, watching all these great players come through there and basically abide by the rules. I sort of, there's part of me that wishes I hadn't done it. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Because I, yeah. I, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to be bigger than the game. Right. I wasn't trying to be big, bigger than like those players that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But at, at the time, too, it was 1999. I didn't understand what my goatee had to do with me playing baseball. Right. But I understand But I understand. we need rules and we need, you know, guidelines. You know, you know, and when you own a business, you have the right to set the guidelines any way you want. And I should not have, you know, forced that issue. You know, a lot of players were happy. But I, at the time, like I said, I had a lot of different emotions going through me. Sure. Uh, you know, being created not wanting to leave California, leave my home. But once I got there, 
It was one of the best teams and the most fun I've ever had playing baseball in my life. Well, that's great. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, you mentioned that, that year in 98 in which you hit 50 home runs for the National League champion Padres. You played in the World Series, and then when the season was over, you were traded to the Reds. Were you aware before the trade that a deal was imminent or that the Padres were shopping you, or what was going on? No, I was, oh, we're not trading you. You've done great. Thank you. Bob. You know, we're trying to get a new stadium. You know, next thing I know, March, Mr. Shot calls me at 6 o'clock in, my morning, in the morning, my time, and I'm like, hello? Greg, <laughs> I just want to inform you that you got traded. I'm like, well, wow. You know what I mean? I'm yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so you found yeah. out from, you. your first call was from Marge, from the Reds? Yep. And so you you were seeking some answers, I'm I'm sure after after you got that call. Well, after that, then I think Kevin Towers called me and said, "Bonnie, our hands are tied. We don't think we can, you know, like I said, we don't think we can afford you." But then next thing you know, it comes Presco and the rest of those guys, and I'm knocking them, and they weren't making too too much less than I was. Right. And I would have took, you know what I mean? I, like I said, I just felt betrayed. Sure. Once again, it goes back to being that 12 year old boy. Here we go again. You know, you go out there, you bust yourself, you're a good teammate, your teammates love you, you play the right way, but we're going to move you because of whatever. Yeah. Now, you know, it, and it seems pretty consistent with the players that I talk to who have been dealt. You know, they all feel the same way when they're traded, no matter how old you are, how long you've been in the game, and how aware you are of the business. Being traded, it seems for 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 most of ninety nine percent of the players that I talk to is is kind of a blow. Not only you know mentally to their ego, but you know also kind of the to the self worth type thing. And you know I, I can imagine what you were going through, especially after you know hitting fifty home runs and leading your team to the World Series. Yeah. So that yeah that that like I said that that was tough for me to get over that part. But, you know, getting traded from Milwaukee where, you know, I came up with Robin Yount, who's mm-hmm. like my adopted dad, you know, <laughs> Paul Molitor, Jim Gantner, and, you know, I played Willie Randolph, Dave Parker, you know, Dale Swam, yeah. Glenn Bratz, Mike Felder. All those guys were influential in my in my development as a baseball player. But I seen Robin and Paulie, shoot, they've been here 20 years. I'm going to be in Milwaukee for 20 years. So after eight <laughs> years, that's all I knew. After eight years, I get traded. But at that time, getting traded – it was emotional because Milwaukee was all I knew. Right. You know, um, mm-hmm. they drafted me, you know. But at that time, they were like, you know what? I was going to a contender. I was going back home. So it was a little bit different than, than the San Diego trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and to this day, after you just played, a lot of people don't realize, you just played one season here in Cincinnati, and you're you're – you still remain very popular here in in Cincinnati. And uh, what do you remember most about your time here? What I remember most is the fans, the the, the passion. You know the uh, you know the the history. You know the history of the Big Red Machine. The the history of the Cincinnati Reds. And, and like I said, my teammates. You know, you had Boney, you had Dimitri, you had Lark, you had Pokey. You, you know, you had Jeffrey Hammonds, you had Casey, you have all these good young players that were looking up to me, you know, and my son once said to me, Corey once said, he got to spend a lot of time with those guys because at that time, he was bat boy and he was bat boy in there, Milwaukee, you mm-hmm. know, he was, he, he was able to spend time on the field, you know, he goes, hey, dad, it sucks you never made, you know, you never got to the Hall of Fame. I said, son, you know what? I didn't play for the Hall of Fame. You know, I, 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 I did not... I did not play for numbers. Everyone to this day says, how many home runs have you hit? And the only reason I know is because of what people have said. <laughs> I've never Googled myself. I never looked at my numbers. Mm-hmm. I've never looked at my totals because I didn't play for that. I played for the respect of my peers and my teammates. And, you know, the year after, you know, when I left the Reds, you know, at the time, and I don't blame them, they're getting the best player in the game with, you know, junior. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like, you know, we can't afford both of you guys, which would have been nice to try to, keep both of us together but then the team didn't do as well and you had pokey and you had dimitri and you had booney and casey said we miss bonnie yeah mm-hmm. mike cameron you know my little brother we miss bonnie yeah and that's that's what i played for you know robbing out you know what you could have played with us back in the day 
and, and, and that's what I played for, the respect of my peers and the guys that I played with and played against. You know, so it, it was, uh, that's, you, you know, that, that I, I was fortunate enough to play a game that, that was paying me a, a lot of money, but to do something that I truly, truly loved was, was not a burden. Yeah. It was tough because mentally it a round bat with a round ball and <laughs> with uh with a you know, round bat, round ball and with the demands of the media and, you know, the production, that's a tough game. Sure. Absolutely. You know, like I said, I, I haven't had a tough day since I retired. It's easy from the couch. <laughs> you know, and uh, it, you know, but I I try to remember even when I, you know, do T V or do radio that you know, I, I was out there. And then, you know, many people don't like to hear it, but I'm like, you don't know what it's like, you know, someone 96 up and in and then slider 90 down and away. And then you square it up and you got eight people out there to help you, you know, fill their position. So it's it's, it's tough. You know, the fans, they're, they're, oh, he hit the ball hard or, you know, he, he plays hard. You know, unfortunately, this game's based, based, based on numbers and it's your job to put up the numbers. I just wish I would have got a chance to play in some of these smaller ballparks that they have now. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how many home runs do you think you could hit here at Great American Ballpark? I have no idea. I'm not going <laughs> to knock anybody. Because like I said, the, 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 pitch, the pitching is freaking phenomenal. Everybody's out there doing the best that they could. But I know my first eight years in Milwaukee, 392 with the wind blowing in off the lake every day was not easy. You know what I mean? And, yeah. But, but like I said, these guys, everybody's throwing 112. Yeah, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's it's tough, you know. It, but you know what? It's it's still the best game in the world. You know, it's uh, you play it every day. You know, it's the only game based on failure. And you know, I'm just so grateful and blessed to have the chance to, you know, to have make, have that be my career. Sure. Yeah. And you know, um, it's. Has have you have you considered like trying to get back in the game as far as uh, you know becoming like a full time coach or as, as teams approached you on on things like that? Oh yeah, I've I've been approached on full time coach, but I don't know if I want to work from twelve noon to twelve midnight every single night and sure. be gone for for nine months a year. For me, roving where I could still be at home and be in my kids' lives would be the best part for me. Like instructional boat for the Padres, that was the time of my life. Those young kids, we hit it off. You know, you see the you see the difference that you can make with them, and you know they try, they start to trust you and they buy into it, and you see the development. To be able to teach and be able to 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 make a difference in young uh, the young players' lives, and still be able to have my life. Mm-hmm. It, you know, so so it would have to be a, a situation where I would be able to to you know rove, you know, and go right. see, you know, go, go to spring training and then go to different cities and make a difference that way. And, you know, and like some of the stuff I was doing when certain teams would come to like Oakland or San Francisco, I would still get to be, see some of the big, you know, spend time with some of the big league teams. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, I, I enjoy playing golf three or four days a week, but I do miss the game. You know, I coach uh, at Bradshaw Christian, you know, uh, and, and I still, I enjoy teaching. And I think mm-hmm. I can make a big difference at the, the, the earth, uh, you know, like I said, with the roving, I, I just right. don't know if I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to, I don't know if I'm not ready. The right situation hasn't approached me Sure. where someone said, hey, you know, come for nine months or 10 months, nine months and work from 12 to 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, and that, that's the grind of it. Now, something you mentioned that, you know, coaching kids and possibly roving, you know, something that, that you're not going to ever see anymore especially those kids that are coming up, they're not going to get drafted five times. You got drafted five times. Take us through that experience and, you know, kind of what made you decide on, on playing college ball instead of uh, turning pro and what made you choose the University of Miami? Well, I chose the University of Miami. That was easy. Number one in the country. Every game was on TV. And we played in front of ten to 11,000 every single night. And we took no bus rides. <laughs> so we flew everywhere. <laughs> that that was easy. So we flew everywhere. They, you know, the tradition, you know, you know, you know, of them of going to the World Series every year. So that that made it easy. And me even being a West Coast guy growing up loving USC, UCLA, uh Miami, it, it just worked for me. And 
I was a football player, so all those times before that, I wasn't ready for baseball. But when I went my first two times going to Cape Cod, and the first year they brought up back the wooden bats, and I was the youngest player there, and I won, I think, MVP or Triple Crown or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. That, you know, then I, I, I knew I was ready to go play. And two, some of the teams said, you know, the drafter to me after the first year, hey, go to Cape uh, Cod, play well. You know, I'm playing against Joey Corr, uh, you know, playing against all the, the top talent in the country, Swindell, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody. And I went triple crown being the youngest player there. <laughs> and then they still didn't do what they said they were going to do. So I went to school. Yeah. Because you know, I'm a man of my word. Be a man of your word. Sure. You know what I mean? You told me to go do this. This is what I did. And then they didn't, you know, you know, they felt something, you know, it just didn't work out. I believe God has a plan for all of us. And he wanted me to go to Milwaukee and go to school. And, you know, that was my journey. Yeah. Hey, man, you know, Marty Brenneman, our longtime radio broadcaster here in Cincinnati, he he's on record as saying in the 40 years that he's broadcasted Reds baseball, you were the greatest single leader he's ever come across. The one year he was with this club in 1999, and in the month of September, he put the team on his back and uh, almost single-handedly carried them. Uh, unfortunately, before the club stumbled in the last three games of the year, winning only one of three in Milwaukee and then getting shut out by the Mets in the one-game play-in. But it didn't take away from the year that he had. And uh, the thing that impressed me about him was he'd get in the face of any player on the club from Barry Larkin on down if he felt like they weren't putting out and doing the things that were necessary to win. And he's truly one of those players that, if he goes over five and strikes out four times and the club wins, he's legitimately happy. If he gets three home runs and the club loses, he's legitimately sad. He was very impressive to me. To hear him say that about me, and once again, you're talking about Barry Larkin, Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez. I mean, you're talking about some great players. Eric Davis, you're, you're talking about some great players that have played there. And for him to say that, that's why I played the game. Yeah. You know, so I think I think for me, you know, to give back to an organization would be where I can teach that to the kids coming up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. And, you know, because because when you're already there, I know I can get guys ready to play. But if you have to get another man has to motivate you, which you know, like I said, Billy Hatcher is one of the best, one of my favorite people in the whole world. You know, uh, but you know, when you have to try to get people ready to play at that level every single day. You know, it, it's tough, but if you can get them at an earlier age, you know, like I said, you know, in the minor leagues, start that where there's only one way to play and everything else is wrong. You know, it's uh, I think that's where I can make the best best difference. But who's to say, you know, the big leagues, it, it might be in my future. Like I said, the right situation, I, the, the, the right calling, I, you know, you, you never know. When's the last time you talked to Dusty? Uh, probably right before he took the Nationals job. <laughs> yeah, he was here in town for a speaking engagement. We got to catch up with him. You know, he spent, you know, several years here in Cincinnati. And, you know, he's always been, uh, you know, some of our favorite, you know, my me personally, one of my favorite guys to work for. And, you know, he's doing well. He's He looks great. He looks healthy. And uh, we're just, you know, kind of wishing him well without beating up on the Reds too much. Yeah, you know, like I said, Dusty – and then once again, you know, we were talking about myself being traded. You know, what does Dusty do? Win 95 games every single year, and he's out of baseball. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Players love playing for him, wins 95 games every single year. And you see players, you see coaches winning 30 or 40% of their games, and and, they're, and they keep their jobs. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know what? So you, once again, you know, you got Jerry Manuel. You, you got a lot of capable guys that are sitting around, not involved in baseball, that can help. And we don't know why they're, why are they're not in the system? Why are they're not in the game? Mm-hmm. You know, it goes back to what, why why aren't minorities playing? First of all, you have no minority players at the big league level. You know, maybe one a team or or one every two teams. You know, because it's very expensive. I know in California. Yeah, if it cost my three hundred fifty dollars to play, I don't know. I'd have been playing baseball. Sure, you know. Uh, if but for I mean these kids turn on the TV, 
they don't see any players. They don't see any coaches. You know, why would they go? You, you know, it, it's not appealing to them. Yeah, and, and you know that's you know, it, that's something that Dimitri was talking about. What he's doing now is he's he's out there in California, where I don't know if he's close to you or not, but he's out there. He's teaching kids, and he's focusing on on the minorities, on the African Americans. And you know, he's he he said the same thing. It's just you know, it's and not just for the African Americans, but you know, for the for the lower for the lower class kids that want to play. It's it's an expensive game, and you know, they're. He, Guys like you and Dimitri are doing everything you can to, you know, get get it going again, and the especially in the inner cities. I know the Reds have a very good program here in Cincinnati that they're doing. How important is it for you, Greg? Like, if, if, if not only to get you know these young African American kids to to start playing baseball again, but you know, tell me what it would have been like if you know if you were a kid and you were watching baseball and you didn't see a lot of black faces in the in the game, would you still have played? You know what? Unfortunately for me, I, I grew up where that was a game that we played in the neighborhood. You know, we did everything. We did everything outside. Nowadays, mm-hmm. you know, between society, the predators, and everybody else, you can't just let your kids roam free. You right. know what I mean? Uh, you know, in the summertime, we played basketball, baseball, football all in the same day. Couldn't come in until it got dark. You know what I mean? Uh, get back outside. You know, you have everybody in the neighborhood playing. So we played. We played them all. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, kids don't do anything unless it's organized. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It has to be a practice. It has to be, so, uh, you know, uh, a coach or a dad out there getting these guys together. And here in California, like Dimitri said, it's expensive as I, you don't know what. It, I mean, $350 for one kid. And say you have two or three kids. I mean, who, who's going to play? Right. And then that's not counting the bats. Yeah. That's not counting the gloves. That's not counting the travel, the uniform. And that's not county travel ball. So mm-hmm. that's just literally. And then you have out here where I live, you have five coaches who have you have five, a manager and four assistant coaches. So now guess what? You got five kids on that team. <laughs> guess what kids are starting for sure? Exactly. Those five are yep. starts. Mm-hmm. So now I pay three fifty to sit on the bench unless I'm a you know, a King Griffey Junior or a Barry Larkin mm-hmm. and I have to do the field, raise all this money, and I don't get to play. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, how how can we change that? What What do you think? What do you, do you have any ideas? I I think, like I said, all, all we can do is just keep bringing awareness to it. Mm-hmm. We can keep uh, we can uh, you know, this travel ball crazy. You know, it's like soccer and volleyball now. You know what I mean? If you don't play on a travel ball team. You can't get a scholarship, and you know it's it's an unfortunate that a lot of kids are getting left out. So what we we try to do here in Sacramento is we try to develop leagues or teams where these kids don't have to pay that money, mm-hmm. but they do have to do something so they're accountable. Right. You know what I mean? And, and you do have to show up, and you do have to contribute, and your parents do have to be a part of it. So you know, all we can do is Jerry Manuel Foundation is doing a tremendous job. Just not on the field, but I mean, he has a school where these kids go to school every day, but it's baseball, uh, oriented. Yeah. You know, these kids play and practice, but it's EPA and then a different professions. It's about getting these kids into college. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. what Jerry Manuel is doing here in Sacramento is unbelievable. And here you go. You talk about another former manager of the year that's sitting at home, like guys are winning 20 and 30% of the games and still have jobs, you mm-hmm. know, and, like, like I said, I can't figure it out. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say we have it bad, we don't have it bad. It is what it is, and I think everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, until we make a, uh, a commitment to getting these guys back in the game, you know, why, does, why was Dustin Baker sitting at home for three years, you know, hanging out with me watching Monday Night Football? <laughs> you know what I mean? Why, you know, why is Jerry Emanuel, you know, why are we changing it up, you know, a couple times a month, you know, because – I mean, they should be out developing and teaching and, and getting a chance. You know what? Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 crazy. It's it, it's crazy to me. And then then when you do have a minority that says that's in the system, you know, you have you know what 40 percent Latin. The rest, you know, you know what the five or six percent African American. Now this African American kid, where did he go? 
who does he go to yeah. mm-hmm. to, to 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 bond with or to you know for someone to understand what he's going through? Sure. Or someone that understands where he came from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do you? We don't have those. Do you think that it's going to? Do you think it's going to trend the other way at some point? Do you think uh, we're we're going to get more African American kids back into the game? I think so. I think because baseball is trending back, it's not so much computerized. There's a lot of information out there, but the cybergenics and it, like I said, I didn't even know what the heck OPS was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know all, all, all these. You know me going up to face Randy Johnson. He, I'm supposed to get two walks and two hits. Come on, really? <laughs> Unless you played this, you know, and it, it's a little tougher than that. So sure. for me, it it's but now. As, as a, collectively, as a you know, as Major League Baseball, if you look at all the teams, look at the guys and look at the teams that are doing well. Look, look who's running their 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 farm systems and their player development and who's coaching these kids now. Former big league players, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Yep. Former big former big league players are, that were that weren't so quote unquote yes men because you know you have a lot of GMs and a lot of people now that. They don't want to, They don't want your opinion. You know what? They just want you to do what we say to do, and that's it. And a lot of former athletes can't do that. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's tough. So there's the bottom line at 22. Okay, do I keep my job, or do you want me to really get here and try to help these kids with the best I can, and and you want me to be me? So you got to find a unique situation where you can be yourself. You have the backing of the player development people or the GM or the other people on the coaching staff, because for a while there, you know, it was all towards the money ball, you know, walk, 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 walk. I can't teach a kid to walk. I can teach a kid to hit and then he's going to walk, mm-hmm. but to do it the other way around, I can't do that. Right. And, and you, you know, and you, you mentioned something I'm too. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. You, you mentioned something too, that, you know, if you, if you disagree with the way that, that your bosses are thinking, you also don't want to be labeled as a problem guy because that can also uh, hinder you getting a job in the future as well. So it is a it it is a difficult dilemma, and I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's tough. You know, like I said, I went when I went to San Diego, you know, for instructional ball. I, I was so happy to hear when we walked in, you know, watched the first game. Some kids were taking fastballs, this and that. Next thing you know, first thing in the meeting was, "Why are we taking fastballs?" We need to be more aggressive. Now I can work with that. <laughs> you, I, 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 now, now, we, now we can move on, and we can. Uh, now I got you. Now, now we can progress, and now we can. I mean, I'm six four two thirty. You want me up there? You want me to get one swing? I played this game a long time, a long time. Tony Gwynn is the only person that I ever seen that needs one swing. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody else. Everybody else I see. It's tough to do. And these guys throwing 100. So you want me to let these guys throw, take fastballs, take fastballs to get to one two o oh, two. So then now they can throw me their three or four different out pitches. Yeah, that's. You know, it, 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 it doesn't work. That you doesn't know? make sense. You teach yeah. them to hit. You teach them to hit. You teach them how to drive in runs. You, hey, a guy on a guy on third base less than two outs. Hey, choke up a little bit. You know, use the middle of the field. Get me a ground ball to shortstop second base. Get to run in. You know, guy on second base, let's two outs, drive the ball the other way. Mm-hmm. But going up there, taking all these pitches, and now I'm 0-2-1-2. I mean, I mean, they got the computers. I guarantee it, it doesn't work. Right, right. Hey, switching gears here, how important is clubhouse chemistry? I think it's pretty important. Like, like I said, the best teams that I played on, the guys were like a family. You know, we're unique. They, they got along. But then, you know, there's been situations where guys hated each other, but once they got on the field, they play well. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but I think for the most part, you, you have to have that, that chemistry, you know, where where you guys, my brother's pushing and fighting for one another. And I seen that in Kansas City early in the year. I was in spring training, and I was with some of the guys, and it was my pick to click. I just wasn't smart enough to go bet any money on it in Vegas, <laughs> you know what I mean? And the one reason I say that is because those young players, play the game the right way every single day they they play harder than everyone else they're out there and they leave it all on the field every day and their biggest players 
You know, when you you know you go from from Kane to Hosmer to Rostakis, mm-hmm. you know, to the you know Gordon, all those guys, they leave it on the field. Yeah, and to be that young and to play that hard, and you know, and it's not worried about the the walk up song and how my pants look, and you know, I like my walk up song too and all that other stuff, but I also like seeing the guy. You know, also like getting W's at the end of the day and playing music in the clubhouse after the game was over. That was more you know, important and, to you, right? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And I told my cousin Jerry Royster, I said, Jerry, after spending some time with the guys in Kansas, I said, I love these guys. These guys, they got it. They understand it. And they, they're my pick to click. And I'm not just saying that, no. I said, and I played for the Padres. You know, Bochy was one of my favorite managers. You know, the Giants. Being a, you know, never playing for them, but the Brewers, the Kansas City Royals, they play harder than everybody else. And you know what? Dell Slam, you know, we, we came up together and played with them. I mean, they get after it. I mean, I, I, you know, we used to have a saying coming up a moving bat is a dangerous bat. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys swing and miss, but hey, they get two strikes when they do. Spread out, choke up for the ball play. Yeah. Hey, What's you... wrong with that? What's wrong with that philosophy? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, you mentioned uh, Boach, Bruce Bochy. Did you enjoy playing for him? And did you know at the time that you were playing for him that he, you know, he had what it took to become a what he's likely a Hall of Fame career? Yeah, I just seen Boach. I knew Boach had. You know why? Because Boach Boach isn't here to lie. Boach tells you the truth, and he's a great communicator. If you're not playing today or something's not going right, hey, you need to pick it up. You need to do this. And another thing, there wasn't a bunch of BS. Boach's thing was, you play hard every day, mm-hmm. that's all I ask for you. You be ready to go every day, and that's all I ask. And so now you know up front, if you go out there and play hard every day, you have your manager's backing. And he never throws players under the bus. He never talks about his players. He never tells them, you know, if he has a problem, it's eternally. And that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Yep. You mentioned a, a list of some of the players that you played with. I, I wrote some of these guys down just to, to, to bring them up to you and get your reaction. You played with Tony Gwynn, Barry Larkin, Trevor Hoffman, Paul Molitor and Robin Yout, as you mentioned, Gary Sheffield. You mentioned Willie Randolph. You played with Ricky, Fernando, Doc Gooden, Fred McGriff, uh, Todd Helton. How important were some of those guys to your development or you know, when you became established to your refinement as a major leaguer? Well, without a, without a doubt, Robin, Robin, you know, coming up there, Mike Felder, who doesn't who doesn't get a lot of mention, Glenn Braggs, yeah, Hackman, uh, uh, Dave Winfield. The first time I met him, get a tape of Positive Imagery and Save Your Money. Uh, <laughs> you know, back back then there was a lot more African Americans from Joe Carter to, I mean, and, and it was just and it was a group, it was a brotherhood. Everyone was looking out for everyone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You need to find another way to stay here. You know. Uh, Kevin Mitchell, uh, all those guys were big into my development, but they also taught me how to be a professional. And they also said, you know what? Do not, the same thing my grandmother said, don't make it close. <laughs> don't make it close. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And yeah. that was the thing that I got. You know, you can't, you have to be out there and you have to bring it every day. And like I said, no one's going to hit every day, but you can play hard every day. You can help your team but win by moving runners, by stealing the base, by playing defense. There's so many ways to help your team. And I understood that at a young age. Yeah. Did you uh were you close with Daryl Hamilton? Me and Hambone and Sheffield all signed together. Very, very, very close. Good friends, seen him a week before it happened. Yeah. How how did how Enough. did how did the news of his death affect you? It crushed me yeah. because, like I said, you never think of of someone of our age going that soon, mm-hmm. and then the way it happened. And when I just seen him, how happy he was, and you know all the things that were going good in his life, you know, and all excited about you know recently having a young child, mm-hmm. and from from him, they were together. When I, you know a week before that, oh, dude, she's awesome. She's a doctor, and then that you, you just really never know yeah. what happens, you know. And you know, as you well know, he was he was starting to 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 make a name for himself as a as a really good baseball analyst, 
um, and everybody you talked to in the game didn't have – you couldn't find anybody that had a bad thing to say about Daryl Hamilton. Yeah, me and him, like I said, Gary Jeff, Gary Jeff is probably my best friend, you know what I mean? And uh, we signed together, we lived together, but me, him, and Hamilton all were in the same draft. Mm-hmm. You know, all signed together, spent, you know, we all came up together. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll switch gears to something a little more uh, upbeat and something that I think the the people at home, especially here in Cincinnati, would would love to hear you talk a little bit about was uh, that 99 Reds team that you played on. How heartbreaking was it for you, first of all, uh, losing two of three in that final regular season series against the Brewers and then having to play and lose a one-game playoff against the Mets, even though you guys won 96 games that year? That was crushing because you know what, you know you got to get the hat to the Brewers. You know that's one thing about them; they're going to play hard every single day. You know, and that's what they did. They came out and they beat us. You know, unfortunately we, you know, we didn't play like we were capable of playing. And then that last day killed us because since uh, the Mets are in Cincinnati, we don't land till like four in the morning, mm-hmm. and we have, you know, you know we had, we were at a rain delay. We had to we had to wait and play the last game. No excuses, you know. They were the better team during that one-game playoff, but to, you know, I just wish things could have worked out a little different. I, and I wish we could have got another chance because that was some of the funnest baseball I've ever played in my life. <laughs> Do you think if you guys would have won that game, that one-game playoff against the Mets, that you you had what it took to to go deep in the in the playoffs in the postseason there? Oh yeah, without a doubt, I guarantee you. If you would have talked any team you would have talked to back then, they would have been scared to play us because we played and we were athletic and we brought it every day. And it was, you didn't you didn't know where it was going to come from, you didn't know who was going to get you, but you just know they were going to get you. And you know Pete Harness and Steve Avery and Denny Nagel and all those guys, uh, Scotty Williams, and all those guys had big big heart. And we, you know we were team, we were going to fight you. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. We were going to fight you. And it, it's just unfortunate that you know you look back over your career, sometimes. You don't get that many opportunities, and that's what I tell these kids. You know, your window's always closing. You don't get these opportunities, and this game's going to go on without you. So, as much as you think you're doing it a favor, it's not going to stop. It's going to continue, and you have to, you know, take mm-hmm. advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of Reds fans they may have forgotten that in September, you guys in September of '99, your your Reds team reeled off a seven-game winning streak, but you didn't make up any ground on first place Houston because they were busy winning twelve in a row. Yeah, you know what? It was just you know, but but when you look at our team in spring training to what everyone thought it was going to be, uh, it was rebuilding. It was all that. So after the first two games of the year, we changed that rebuilding, and to, <laughs> we came here to win. Yeah, yeah. It was no, it was no rebuilding. After we our first two games, in, or you know, in Atlanta, when we shut the door and had a meeting, you know, I don't know who you guys are talking to about this rebuilding, but I didn't come three thousand miles to rebuild. You know, <laughs> Denny Nagel didn't come here to rebuild. We came here to win. Yeah. And if we're not going to win, you know, something's wrong. And ever since that closed door meeting in Atlanta. We came together as one, and we came out there and we played our butt off. You had so many great players on that team. You know, you you had that September. If you want to talk about a a September, you had an amazing September that year. You hit 16 home runs. Uh, Many of us, we remember that you pretty much put the team on your back that month. What kind of zone were you in during that month of September? Well, I just think, you know, as as a baseball player, and unfortunately what people don't understand is, you know, the model of consistency is, is, is tough. You know what I mean? So you're going to have highs and peaks and valleys during the course of the season. But at the end of the year, your numbers are going to be what they are. So whatever you are as a baseball player, basically, you know, you're going to have months where they're off and they're not right. But you're going to have months where you make up ground, too. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it would just happen to be a, 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 the point in time where, you know, I wasn't hitting for a high average early, you know, in the season, but I was still driving in runs and still able to help our team win. And then, you know, I just happened to get hot at the right time. And it was it was it was unique and different because usually I'm a warm weather player, mm-hmm. and, you know. So the cold, but it happened to be, you know, September just happened to be the time. And you know, uh, like I said, we just you know 
No, a little bit short. At what point, you mentioned that closed-door meeting in Atlanta. Was that the point that you knew you had something special going on? Well, at that point, I didn't. But, but until <laughs> after, after, after that closed-door meeting, when we said no coaches, no nothing, shut the door, and everybody went in and said what they had to say, then I knew we had something special. Because our young players, between Booney, Pokey, Dimitri Young's one of the best hitters I've ever seen. And it didn't matter who was out there, from Greg Maddox to Randy Johnson, mm-hmm. Dimitri Young can square the baseball up. Mm-hmm. Booney can pick it and play. Casey can hit anybody. Pokey was a, a, a tremendous talent. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Michael Tucker and, and uh, Hammond's platooning. You know, Brian Johnson knew what he was doing, and Tommy's behind the plate. We we had what it take, but it just I think it needed to be said. Yeah. You know, and we we just tried to. You know, I remember, I don't know what made me shut that door, but I just know I've never been so embarrassed or so pissed in my life. <laughs> and Dimitri, not not to keep talking about Dimitri, but he, you know, we had him on recently, and he said one of the things that opened his eyes that year uh, was about you. You know, he said that you could go 0 for 3, come back to the dugout, and you would say, oh, he's going to give it up. He's going to give it up. And Dimitri thought, wow. You know, he told me that, you know, he was amazed by that because a lot of guys would just go back and put their heads down and, you you know, just be content with losing. He's No matter how bad you looked at the plate, and what that wasn't very often, but if you struck out or struck out three times, you'd come back to the dugout and say, he's going to give it up. And I think that was kind of, uh, for Dimitri at least, it sounded like that was his kind of rallying, rallying cry. Well, you know what, like I said, we had a lot of tough guys with a lot of tough makeup. You know, and if you watch Barry, Barry wasn't, you know, a big talker, but he led by example. No one played harder. He played hard every single day. He was out there every single day. You know, but he just he, he wasn't really vocal. You know, I, I was total opposite. I tried to play hard, but I was a little bit more vocal mm-hmm. coming from football. So, and I had to believe that. Shoot, I'm, like I said, if I put my head down and didn't believe in myself, who else was? You know what I mean? Yeah. And how am I going to get these guys to, you know, expect to win? If I just think about, you know, if I'm playing for the name on the back, not the name on the front, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You have to be, you have to go out there, and I had to tell myself, I didn't care how bad I look, somebody's going to get it. Right. If they don't get it today, <laughs> they're, somebody, they're going to get it tomorrow. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and and you know what? Because you, I mean, that's what keeps you coming back, and that's what I don't see in a lot of our kids now, whether it's in high school or high school or even, you know, some of the minor league teams that I've been around and. Minor league players, man, you could tell if they don't get a hit their first at bat, you might as well take them out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you got three more. Make somebody pay. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how did make you, them pay? How did you like working at Riverfront Stadium? Well, I loved it. For me, like I said, it was it was a great place to hit. You know, once those fans came in there, and you know, it got hot, and they believed in us. They believed in us. It, it was fun to come to work every day. It was fun. I remember Water Street. We 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 had a that town stood behind us. You know, it mm-hmm. was awesome. Yeah. Did the turf have any adverse effects on you? Uh. I, I mean, you see, I, you see no. a lot, you see a lot of guys now, especially the big red machine guys, and I know they're getting up there in age, but you know, a lot of them you can tell, like the wear and tear from playing on that turf. And I I realized that the turf that you played on was you know a little more advanced than that the the green concrete as they called it back in the seventies. But uh, you know, a lot of you know, it was tough. It was tough to to, to, to even you know, to, I'm sure it was tough to play on. Well, you know what, I'm. You know, it's. I was on it for one year, but you know what I learned at playing at University of Miami was, ever since I left there, I took an ice bath every day, no matter how cold it was, whether it was 35 degrees outside or 44 or 112. Ever since I left college, every single day I took an ice bath, so the ice bath helped. Oh, but playing on that turf, I mean, the way you prepare, you know, I wore tennis shoes more than I ever wore tennis shoes in my life, you know, when you have to stand on it mm-hmm. and prepare, you know, pregame and do all the stuff to get ready to play, I think you address it a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. A couple more here. Is there anything you'd like to see changed in baseball? Uh, 
I don't know. I think it's a pretty good game. You know, I think we, we mess it up when we start changing things. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, for 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 so many years, it's it's been a great game. So now, why do we have to change it? Yeah. Even though in an NFL, I do like the field goal getting moved back, the extra point. I'm sorry, getting moved back. Mm-hmm. It makes it exciting. They're not all guaranteed. Right. But in baseball, what are we going to change? You know what I mean? Are we going to make the mound farther, closer? Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, I mean. It's a great game already. We don't need to mess with it. What do you, you think? Know, does it need to speed up? Does it need to speed up? Who says? I don't know. Yeah. No more strikes. <laughs> you know, no more strikes and don't take as many pitches. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Hey, what do you think of the the replay stuff? Uh, I like to replay, but it's showing you over the course of a season how many times these guys are wrong in the field. But the game is so fast. Yeah, but but it shows how many times they're wrong. What I don't get is how many times they can be wrong with the replay booth. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, the guys that are sitting in New York or New Jersey watching it, how many times <laughs> they can be wrong? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the only thing the, the only thing I would say about you know, which I'm grateful for, and I know, and I'm not here to bash umpires or anything like that, is the fact that when I came up, you know, you had American in that National League. Which was so be it. In spring training, you got <coughs> excuse me, both of them. But you could talk to them. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of my career, you couldn't say one word to these. I mean, you can't talk to them unless there were some of the old school Kellogg and all those guys. Yeah, you could still talk to. You know, the old school guys. You could you could talk to the new one. I mean, you can't even ask a question. And if some of these guys are bad, and if we're being evaluated every single day and getting sent down, to me, I think they need to be held accountable. Right. The ground with. That that ball that 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 thing we call home plate, and this is what I used to say in our meetings in spring training. If it's a strike for the Reds and Tampa Bay, it should be a strike for the Yankees. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, 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 that thing that thing called a plate should be they throw it over the plate. It's a strike. And the guys are getting better, but I just think everyone has to be held accountable. You know, you can't be out there just making up your own strike zone, calling balls all over the place, and all of a sudden you go out there and it's changed the next inning because who you're playing. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. It, it's a fast game. I just think everyone just needs to be held accountable. If you're not doing a good job as an umpire in the, minor, in the major leagues, you need to go down to the minor leagues and, and get a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Hey, something, you know, just, something I've been asking my guests, and uh, the question is, if you had to do it all over again, if you could go back – and live your baseball career all over again, would you do anything differently? I think I would have laughed and smiled more and had more fun. <laughs> I had a lot of fun in the clubhouse. I had a lot of club, a lot of fun in the clubhouse, a lot of fun pregame. But I, I think I would have had more fun and smiled more on the field. Because I think I played hard every single day. I, I can't change that. And that's the only thing I can control. Of course, I wish I didn't swing as many balls in the dirt or <laughs> over my head. I wish, I wish I could take all those back. But like I said, I think I would have smiled more and had more fun on the field opposed to being so serious. But that's that's all I knew. That's how I took it every day until they took the balls away. Yeah. I laughed and I had fun in the clubhouse, on the planes, and the buses. It was a blast. But, you know, I wish I would have had more fun doing other stuff. <laughs> Very good. Greg Vaughn, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you for the last hour. You've been just absolutely fantastic, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you took your time out to, to do this for us. And I think the, the fans in Cincinnati especially are going to be very pleased to hear from you. Well, I want to thank the fans in Cincinnati for my one year that they made incredible special, and it will always be a special part of my life, you know, for for standing behind me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our team that year, you know, I, I never got a chance to really say thank you. You know, it wasn't a chance of me even having a chance to even come back to Cincinnati. I have not been back since I, you know, played there, really. You know, I didn't ask to leave. You know, I, like I said, I would have loved to have done it all over again. You know, you know, like I said, the guy upstairs works in mysterious ways and he has a plan. And, but, you know, I, I've never had an opportunity to say thank you to the fans of Cincinnati so you know I just want to thank them so much for 
sticking behind me and that team in 1999 because it was a great time for me. Well, we're going to have to get you back here at some point, maybe at a Reds Fest or a, or a fantasy camp or something like that. I think the fans would love to see you. Okay, yeah, you work on that, and I'll, I'll definitely be there. All right, Craig. Hey, man, thanks again, and uh, you know, I'll tell Billy Hatcher you said hello. Uh, all right, Jimmy. Thank you very much, okay. man. Okay, thanks, Greg. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. That was Greg Vaughn, and a huge thanks to him for joining us this week on the Better Off Red podcast. Unlike many of the players on that 99 team, including some who have already appeared on this show, I was never really familiar with Greg personally. So I was pleased at how agreeable he was to come on the podcast and talk openly and honestly about his time in the game, and especially his thoughts on the subjects we discussed. I wish Greg nothing but the best, and I hope the Reds leave the door open for him to come back in some capacity. He'd be a great Reds ambassador. I hope you'll join us next week as we welcome longtime Reds baseball writer and my close personal friend, John Fay, to the show. The music you heard on the podcast this week was courtesy of Jesus' Sons and their new album, Bring It On Home, which is available now on iTunes. Thank yous go out this week to Greg Vaughn, the Cincinnati Reds, my pal Lisa Braun, and a special thanks to my main man, Nick Prince, without whom this podcast would not exist. Don't forget to join us for the Reds Hot Stove League and Better Off Red Baseball Trivia at the Holy Grail Banks on Tuesday, November 24th at 6 p.m. Eastern. That's all from BOR Headquarters. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jamie Ramsey. Expect good news. (laughs) 